Well, good morning. That was weak. Good morning. Good to see you on this Lord's Day. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles. Romans chapter 12 will be there today, looking at verses 9 and 10. We'll be looking at some other passages down in the latter part of that chapter as well. Uh, it's uh, our text for today. Uh, just as a note, a couple of things to, to remind you of and, and make you aware of. We had a, a really good productive members meeting last Sunday evening. We had 14 new members voted in to the membership of our church, and so we're grateful to the Lord for that. We'll be recognizing them at the end of our service uh, today. We have three new deacons, uh, Keith and Misha Hash and Tom Williams, along with uh, our other deacons that have been serving uh, in various capacities, uh, re-elected, and um, was able to also present some vision for the next uh, one to three years. And so if you haven't had an opportunity to pick up the copy of that, there are copies available for you out in the Ministry Connection. I encourage you to pick one up. You can read basically the report I gave uh, from uh, my comments there last Sunday evening as we look forward to the days ahead together. It's indeed exciting days. Romans chapter 12, let's pray as we open God's word. Lord, help us as we consider your truth today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are receptive so that, Lord, we would not just be hearers of the word, but, God, that we would be doers of the word. Father, as we consider what it means to honor one another, Lord, I pray that you would help us not just understand it as a concept, but, Lord, that we would be quick to apply it. Lord, thank you for this time that we have to learn, to be challenged and shaped by your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, in case you missed it this past week, the Pope came to town. And as with any great world leader, the pomp and circumstance and the, 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 the welcome of, of the Pope was quite significant. In fact, it's something that we would all expect when any major world kind of leader is, is in town or comes to, uh, to visit another, another nation. In fact, I think he even came to the fair. I saw a couple of you with selfies with the Pope this past week. Uh, but just think about that. Think about the honor... And, and, and rightly so with any kind of world leader, the honor that was given to him the, the, when he flew in, the, the red carpet that was rolled out, the welcoming committee made up of various different uh, important figures in our own country, the president, the vice president, governors from our local states, all of the, 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 the people, the, the speeches he was invited to give at the White House and the joint session in Congress, the, the motorcade of me and a couple of the kids went to the Nats and O's game Tuesday at the same time the, the, the Pope was flying in, and, and we were able to hear some of the motorcade when we were there at the stadium. Just, just all that, that took place this week to honor the Pope when he arrived. And it's perfectly normal for this level of honor to be given to influential people in the world. I'm not saying it was a bad thing. In fact, it's an expected thing. But when it comes to showing honor to people... I think that that's the only kind of picture we have in our minds. Red carpets, influential, important people being recognized. And while that is a way to show honor and respect, when we come to the scripture, we, we read that we're commanded as Christians to show honor. 
So let's, let's read Romans 12, verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Then notice the next verse. Outdo one another in showing honor. You know, when you think about recognizing and honoring a world leader, it's normal for us to, to, to associate that picture with, with what it means to honor someone. But what if honoring someone, what if showing honor was more of a normal part of the Christian life? Not just reserved for those special days, but rather a command for every day. What if, what if showing honor didn't just refer to world leaders and awards banquets? What if it meant something more natural and normal? And expected. Well, I think as we consider the command in the scripture, outdo one another in showing honor, show preference, some translations, to one another, we begin to understand that this is indeed uh, an ex- expectation that, that God has on his people to show honor, not just to the very important people of the world, but to one another. Within the body of Christ, certainly, and even to those outside of the body of Christ. And so as we consider what it means to be called to one another, we're going to walk through this in in several different ways this morning. Number one, we're going to seek to define what it means to honor. And then we're going to defend why it's appropriate that we all show honor to everyone, to one another. And then we are going to demonstrate what it looks like. At least I'm going to help us try to look at some examples of of how we can show honor. So we're going to define it. We're going to explain explain why we we go about doing and showing honor to each other. And then we're going to give some examples as to what that looks like. So let's begin with point number one, honoring one another defined. What does that that mean? What does it mean to honor honor one another? Well, Paul says in verses 9 and 10 that, that we are to let our love be genuine and that we are to love one another with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. He then follows that with the command to outdo one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. And both of these are closely related, but they are different. Showing brotherly affection and showing honor are different actions. They are related, but they are different. And so we want to look at them sort of as different actions, while Really, all of the one another's flow out of the call to love one another. We can see the relationship here. You're not going to want to honor someone unless you have some type of affection for them. But we need to, to at least separate them for the moment. Know they're connected, but let's separate it to, to consider what it means to truly honor someone. A good passage that really, I think, helps give further clarity and definition to what it means to honor someone is found in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, specifically verse 3, Paul says there, in humility, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, 
count others more significant than yourself. So the, the idea of honoring someone or showing preference to someone means that there is some kind of self-denial happening and you are then turning the honor from yourself, the preference from yourself, to another. It's a call to give preference to one another by showing genuine appreciation and admiration through your actions and your words. In some cases, that means giving honor to people that you don't think deserve it. That's easy. And the reason I'm not talking about honoring people that it's easy to honor, because that, that's easy to do. We, we find that sort of routine, sort of normal and expected. And so when someone is, quote unquote, in our mind, quote unquote, worthy of honor, we're going to honor them in easier fashion. But, but there are those cases that sometimes, th- this command is not, not just for that. It, it's to show honor to one another. And sometimes that can be quite challenging. When you consider the the greater context of these verses, it becomes clear that we are to pursue less honor for ourselves while increasing in honor to to others. Now, here's the, the unfortunate reality. We all have a sinful nature. And it's by nature our reaction to seek to honor ourselves. No one has to tell you how to honor yourself. You're going to honor yourself. And I'm not talking about propping yourself up. And You're going to take care of yourself. In fact, you're going to find it natural to prefer yourself over others. So what we're talking about here is a radically Christian thing. And by the way, it can only happen by a transformation of the heart. Because we are prone to care more for ourselves and to honor ourselves than others. We always come out on top. We always come out as the best. And so this is a call to put to death your desire, my desire, to be honored and seek seek how you can show honor to others even when you don't think they deserve it. Or even when it's very, very challenging. Let me give you some examples biblically of when it can be challenging to honor someone. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1 is an example of where some would say it's challenging. There in in that particular text, Paul's talking about the the slave's responsibility to the master, the bondservant to, to the master. He says... 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Why? He actually gives a reason why you should do that here. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Now you can apply that down on into the, to the workplace. There, there are many of you, many of you, who have a difficult job because you have a difficult master. Some of you are masters, and you need to learn not to make it difficult on those underneath you in a sinful way. But rather, we're, even in those situations, we're to respect, we're to show honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. 
What about parent-child relationships? How many, how many of you kids in here find it easy and natural for you to honor your parents? None of you. Doesn't necessarily come natural. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 says, honor your father and mother. You may not think that they're worthy of honor. Maybe they, maybe they don't parent as, as you see other parents parenting. Maybe they've, maybe they've given you reason to maybe hold back some honor. But the Bible still says you're to honor your father and your mother. What about when those who are in the church who are classified as, as weaker Christians? If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me just read this. Just listen to what Paul says here. This is sort of picking back up where we were last week when we talked about being members of one another. Verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. There we see a call for honor to be given even to those who are weaker so that the body is unified. There are going to be times when you find it difficult to honor. And yet, what we're called to here is in humility to consider others more important than ourselves and that we, in fact, show preference to them through our actions and through our words, through our, even, even through our attitudes. So that's really a definition that we're working with here. Really, at the end of the day, what it means to honor someone is to pursue humility in preferring them over yourself. Now, let's look at point number two, honoring one another defended. Why should we be so quick to honor others and slow to seek honor for ourselves? Well, there are several reasons or motives that you could, could look at. And some would say, well, the Bible tells us to. Well, it does. The Bible tells us to do a lot. Uh, but if, if, if that's how you operate, I do this because the Bible tells me to, that's a good thing. But if that's the only thing that's, that's your motives, you're going to find that um, sometimes uh, cold because there are other reasons that the Bible actually gives itself as to why we ought to do certain things. If you just get stop there, if the Bible tells me to, then, then you can misunderstand the authority that's coming through, through the Scripture from the Lord and for other good Christ-exalting motives. Now, I was reading an article by John Piper, and he really helped me understand, uh, I'm going to give you four reasons, sort of based upon some of the things that he said, not exactly worded like he put them, but, but some thoughts at least that, that show us why we should seek to honor others. Yes, the Scripture calls us to do that. That is our authority, the Lord in His Word giving us that authority. But what are some other things the Bible implies or says about motives as to why we should seek to honor others. Number one, it's an expression of our salvation. When someone encounters Jesus in a saving fashion, there is a new person established, a new nature that is established in that person. And over time, there's an increase of newly created attitudes and actions that reveal outwardly the internal change. 
When you are born again, when you come to Christ, when you are saved, it's not just an outward change. There's an inward change that gives you new affections and new attitudes, new beliefs, new desires. And the reality of the gospel even says, even in the gospel itself, that even though we were dishonorable, right, sinners, God actually showed us honor by sending His own Son, the one deserving of all honor and all praise, so that in His dishonor, His shame, we might be honored. The Bible puts it in a couple of different ways. Back to Philippians chapter 2. Let me show you from there. You sort of see this picture unfold. Paul says, have this mind among you. Actually, in verse 4, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Further elaborating on what it means to honor and prefer others. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The most honorable person in the universe humbled himself so that those who are dishonorable might be honored in a way and reconciled to the Lord. Another way you could Consider that picture is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, where Paul says there, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Friends, remembering our previous status as sinners and recalling the work of God's grace in our lives to bring us to himself, even though we deserved his judgment is reason for us to show honor and preference to others. Jesus showed honor and preference to us, even when we did not deserve it. It's an expression of our salvation. Number two, it follows the example of Christ, and that's basically what we could also say from those other passages in Philippians 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So again, if, your struggle, if you struggle in giving honor and preference to others, just Just meditate long and hard on the ministry of Jesus. Read the Gospels. And you'll you'll be shown time after time after time again how Christ, the one worthy of all honor, the one that is exalted at the right hand of the Father right now, the one that we're showing honor to, dishonored himself by becoming a man. Humbled himself so that you could be saved. Following in the example of Jesus. Number three, it encourages believers. Why should you show honor? It encourages others. I'm not talking about puffing them up. I'm talking about biblical encouragement. There's a difference. If you flatter someone to puff them up and make them feel good about themselves, that's not what we're talking about. Rather, we're talking about biblical encouragement. So one of the reasons we want to show honor to others is because of the good it does for their own soul and sanctification. 
You know, we encourage and strengthen our brothers and sisters when we seek to honor them. One of the things that, that I know I'm tempted to do, I won't pick on you because I don't know your heart at the end of the day. I don't know your motives. I can't read them. But I know that speaking from experience as a fellow human, you might be tempted, as I am often tempted, to be prone to pick out the inconsistencies, the flaws, and the deficiencies people have. And there is an appropriate manner in place for this in the church. There is biblical instruction on how we're to confront and how we're to deal with sin and inconsistencies, certainly. However, if that's all we do is pick and degrade and show deficiencies, then we're not showing honor. And so when we seek to intentionally honor someone, we are encouraging them. Even in when, how we speak to them. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Friends, as we seek to honor others, we are seeking to build others up in Christ. Not flattery, but we're seeking to build them up in Christ. A fourth reason is that Honoring one another catches the attention of unbelievers. There's nothing more attractive to an unbeliever than to see genuine community lived out. You may not believe me. And an unbeliever may not say that out loud. But I guarantee you when they are seeing biblical community practice and, and they see people preferring one another and honoring one another and investing in each other, they are drawn to that in a way that they are not drawn to other things. Show the world a divided, contentious, and selfish community, and you will only add to their contempt for the church and the gospel. It does catch the attention of unbelievers. There are many other reasons. Yes, the, the, the Bible instructs us to honor one another, but then we can see also how it's an expression of our salvation. It follows the example of Christ. It encourages believers, and it catches the intention of unbelievers. We could perhaps give many more. But let's spend the rest of our time this morning on talking about what it looks like to honor one another, honoring one another demonstrated. We sort of have an idea of what it means and why we ought to do it. Sometimes we just stop there. Okay, I know what that means. I know why I ought to do it. But then we don't do it, right? So let's, let's try to help each other here. Let's, let's, let's flesh this out and tease this out a little bit. Because it will, will serve you and it will serve me well as we consider what it means to honor, what it looks like to honor each other. Now, I want to break this sort of into two parts. I want to talk first of all about actions that we can take to cultivate a heart that wants to honor others. Because if you do not honor someone out of, your, out of a true motive genuinely wants to honor them, then, then you're just going to be going through motions that, that are meaningless. So here's actions we can take first to cultivate a heart that wants to honor others, and then second, actions we can take as a people of God that actually wants to honor, that actually honors other people. Number one, um, let's take a look at cultivating the heart. How do we do this? How do we fashion and shape a heart that wants to honor people People that deserve honor, people that don't deserve honor, but we're called to honor one another. How do we do this? Number one, we need to recognize the status of others. 
two things here. Number one, you need to see others as made in the image of God. And two, if they're a Christian, as those who, have been, those who are blood-bought possessions of Christ. They're made in the image of God, and they've been saved by the same blood that saved you. They're going to the same place you're going. I like to say this occasionally. Even when you're finding people challenging and especially difficult, if they're a Christian, you've got them for eternity. So you better figure it out now, right? Yes, I know things are going to be much different in heaven. It's going to be, we're going to be perfected and, and the challenges of this world will not be there. But you need to understand, if they're in Christ, you and they have the same Father. You and they have the same Savior. You had the same problem, and you have the same redemption. The same blood that covered their sin is the same blood that covers your sin. So that should begin to inform your desire to honor. We need to be, number two, quick, as compared to something that I said earlier, quick to acknowledge evidence of God's grace in people's lives. You just think about, what if we spent more time pointing out, intentionally pointing out evidences of God's grace in people's lives? Yes, there are going to be the specks that we have to draw attention to. There are going to be the, the struggles, the inconsistencies, the sins that we're going to have to deal with. But what if in addition to that, we were also pointing out evidences of, God, of God's grace in people's lives? A person I've heard talk much about this is C.J. Mahaney in his book, Humility. He says this about pointing out evidences of God's grace. He says, we will motivate others by grace when we perceive where and how he, God, is at work in their lives and humbly let them know. They need to know because so often they are unaware. Too many Christians are more readily aware of the absence of God than they are the presence of God. And they are more aware of sin than they are of grace. So one of the things that should help cultivate our hearts towards people is, is understanding the work of grace and the work of God in their lives. If they are converted, if they belong to Jesus, there are surely, surely evidences of grace somewhere present in their life. You may have to think long and hard about it, but they're there. They have the Holy Spirit in them. So there's going to be something that's cultivating, something that's growing. may not grow as fast as where it's growing in your life. may not be as prominent as it is in other people's lives. But please, take the time. Take the time as you're helping them pluck the weeds to also see those small, maybe, but, but progressive amounts of fruit that are present in their lives. The third thing that will help you, number three, is you need to remember your own story. Were it not for the grace of God in your own life, where would you be, friend? When you're tempted to say, mm, I'm not sure about honoring this person. Friend, from where did you come? You weren't born a Christian. You were born again. You had the same need for the new birth as they did. You may be further along than they are. You might be. But by the grace of God, you need to remember from where you came, from where you were when your unconverted, rebellious, sinful state that deserved the same hell that they deserved. That will help you 
in your perspective and wanting to show honor and preference to others. Now, let me give you some examples of what that looks like. And there are many. We could give many. I'm going to give four, I think. How do we do this? Number one, one way is that we need to kill the sin of partiality in the church. Kill the sin of partiality. James, chapter 2, has much to say about killing the sin of partiality. Listen to James, chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, front row, beside the pastor. I added that. You sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? And are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? James reminds us of the probability for each of us to show favoritism and special treatment to certain kinds of people. And there is a strong warning here and in other places in the Scripture for us as God's people not to be, not to be selective in who you want to show honor to. As I said earlier, there are going to be people that, that you easily navigate towards showing honor. And there are going to be other people that you're just, you're, having a, you're needing pushed. James reminds us we, we're not to show favoritism. And this can be a massive problem in many ways, and there are many different ways that the church has showed favoritism throughout the years. I'm going to give you three ways that we can kill the sin of favoritism in the church. Because if you're a human being that's a sinner, then you are prone to favoritism. Three things to keep in mind. Number one, we need to understand that we need to kill the sin of partiality when it comes to differing social classes. It's sort of James's illustration here. He addresses that quite pointedly. We need to not play favorites when it comes to poor and rich. It's a call to churches to make sure that these social barriers do not bleed over into the church. But rather, we are called by the same gospel. Friends, let me just say this. We live in one of the most wealthiest counties in the wealthiest nation in the world. And if you think for a moment that we aren't prone to show favoritism to those who are less fortunate than we are, you are fooled. It is not the Lord's desire that this be a white, upper-class, wealthy church. And yet, many of the circles in which we run with are often geared towards that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to have rich friends vast majority of you in this room are, are wealthy. And you can argue with me all day long about how 
poor you are. Let me show you my bank account, Pastor. But when you compare yourself to the vast majority of the people in the world, friends, you are filthy rich. So we must guard our hearts that we do not show favoritism towards those who are in a lesser, quote-unquote, social status or social class than we are. Number two, we kill the sin of favoritism when we understand the the issue and, and reality of differing ethnicities. There are a lot of good discussions taking place within the church today regarding this very topic. The call for churches to pursue diversity is not just a good idea, it's a biblical idea. So, if we as a predominantly white church are going to show honor and preference to our black brothers and sisters or other minorities, we've got a lot of work to do. Not just us, but a lot of churches. Several things that we can do in showing honor to minorities. Number one, we need to recognize our tendencies to racial bias. That's all of us, white, black, in between. All of us are prone to this. Philia Newbell, she works for the uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention in a recent Nine Marks journal, wrote an article based out of James 2 called Racism and Favoritism, where she said, so what is racial bias? Racial bias becomes a matter of instinct. What's your reaction when you see someone who appears to be of Middle Eastern descent boarding your plane? Let me just stop right there. We flew a Middle Eastern airline to Thailand. I can tell you what my reaction was when I saw ladies walking up and down the aisle and you could only see this and they were all in black. I can tell you what my reaction was when I'm standing up stretching talking to an Iranian Muslim. It wasn't immediately positive. Friends, all of us struggle with this. If you're walking, and she goes on, if you're walking in an urban area and a group of large black men approach, what do you think? Do you feel slightly unsettled when someone of your ethnicity marries outside of your ethnicity? Do all your friends look like you? Would you prefer your restaurant server, pastor, best friend, child's dolls, child's spouse, electrician showing up at the door, or the lead character in a movie to have your skin color? These biases can be instinctive and they can be a product of our racial favoritism. We are easily influenced by culture, what we've read, what we've read, seen, or heard, but not experienced, and the attitudes and belief systems of generations past. In order to see reconciliation and progress in our nation, community, and churches, we must recognize that racial favoritism is indeed a possibility, and I would say probability, for each and every one of us. We then must fight our assumptions of others and learn to ask good questions. We need to recognize that's a reality. You can fight it all day long. It is a reality. Number two, realize the risk and challenge that it is for many minorities to enter a majority culture church. I guarantee if you're white in here, you didn't think a thing about coming to church today. But if you're not white, unless you've been here a while, you, it's different for you. And the majority of us don't think a thing about that. And so one of the ways that we can seek to show honor to those in minority cultures is to try to put ourselves in their shoes. Try to understand what it's like to be like them. You may never think what it's like to walk into a church as a minority. Friends, you need to understand that showing honor and preference, that that's how you can do that. Sympathizing with the struggles of minorities. Showing empathy towards things that matter for our minority friends and brothers and sisters. Learning to walk in their shoes. Taking the time to listen and invest. Just one way, kill the sin of favoritism, understand the differing social status, understand the differing ethnicities. This is a real issue. 
giving our time and attention and thought towards these kinds of people, knowing that they're the same created image bearers that we are. And they have the same gospel, the same Savior, and the Lord wants to build His church made up of people like them and like you. A third area is differing demographics. I didn't know how to word this one. We sometimes show favoritism not only in status or race, but in age demographics. So we divide our churches up into all of the age demographics. We've got the kids, the real little kids, the even littler kids. We've got the student ministry. We've got the singles ministry. We've got the marriage ministry without kids. We've got the marriage ministry with kids. We've got the empty nesters. We've got the retired folks. And we've got them all divided and segregated. In their own corners where they need to be, right? I grew up in Southern Baptist Church, and that's how, that's how it was. Thankful that things are different here. Sort of. Think about that. Sometimes we build entire churches around favoritism in those kinds of categories. You think, well, it's easier for singles to connect with singles. It's easier for youth to connect with youth. There are places for those ministries. I'm not arguing there isn't. Fantastic opportunities to, to see people's lives transformed in those kind of segregated, if you want to use that word, ministries. But friends, if we aren't careful, we will tend to grow towards these groups instead of looking for ways to us to be blessed by the greater body. I tell people regularly that this has been a different church for me because this is the first church I've pastored that has maybe five, six senior adults. Some of you are borderline. Regular active members, five to six. There's a large age demographic there. You say, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to go out and invest in, in senior adults? No, I'm just saying that I'm aware of that. Is it right, wrong? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's a reality. If we aren't careful, we can build entire ministries girded towards a, per, a particular age, trying to reach those particular ages. We, for some reason, are drawing in young couples or young singles right now. Um, praise God for that. We're not doing nothing intentionally to, to pursue that necessarily. But if we're not careful, we can see these groups as our favorite kinds of groups and, and, and grow a little bit cocky towards other groups who aren't doing things like we are let me just let me just since i've already stored stirred the hornet's nest let me just throw worship in there some of you younger people when we sing a hymn you're like oh really should you not rather have joy in your heart that there's a number of people in this room that enjoy that older people when you hear one of those songs that repeat like it's never going to end, and you're like, is this song going to end? Number one, you've stopped worshiping. Number two, you should be grateful that there's at least one other person in here that's being blessed by that. You're showing preference. We could, not just, not just traditional versus modern, we could go into different kinds of styles. Friends, what happens in a church is we, we want church our way and the way we think it ought to be and the way we like it. And if nobody else likes it, there's the door. 
You come to our church. This is my church, and this is the way it's going to be. You don't like it? You can leave. Friends, that is a cocky, sinful, ungodly attitude that needs to be snuffed out if that is an attitude that you have. Kill the sin of favoritism. That's one way we can show preference to others. Number two, regularly acknowledge the service and contribution of others. Instead of taking for granted the investment of others or grumbling when they don't do things your way or the way that you think they should have been, why not take time to actually thank them for doing something? Maybe it's, maybe it's beyond church. Maybe it's a husband or a wife, parent. Parents, maybe it's your children that you actually need to recognize. Show preference. Maybe it's a teacher, children, and we could go on and on. Intentionally acknowledge the service and contribution of others. That's a way you can seek to honor them. A quick email, a quick text, a quick note. They still actually have pens and paper today. You can write a note and say, thank you. Thank you for being such a blessing in my life in this way. Number three, practice hospitality. We could go on. Verse 13, we see in Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. Hospitality was a common practice in the early church, primarily out of necessity. There wasn't many holiday inns or comfort inn and suites back then in that time. And if there were, they didn't have continental breakfasts. And so hospitality was a necessity. So whether people you knew or a complete stranger, you would have people in your home. Friends, today we, in our private, independent culture, we are more prone to see our homes as a place of refuge and escape rather than a place of ministry. What better way to honor someone than to invite them into your home and invite them into your life? Number four, empathize with others. Romans 12, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Friends, when it comes to being empathetic with others, often we, when it comes to weeping, we are too prone to distance ourselves from pain. But if you truly want to honor someone, then their sorrows become your sorrows. And yet how often when we've watched from a distance someone go through a terrible event, only think, glad that wasn't me. And in a sense, you should be glad that God has spared you that particular crisis, but you should also seek to honor them by moving toward their pain, not away from their pain. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, the same is true. Just as we share in each other's sorrows, we should share in each other's joys. And yet how often have we allowed envy and jealousy to snuff out our joy when someone else is being blessed and we're mad because we're not the one being blessed. We grow, je- we grow jealous, we grow envious. Friends, we're called to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, showing empathy, letting their sorrows become your sorrows, their joys become your joy. Friends, there are many ways we can honor one another. There are many ways that we can show preference to one another. There are many ways that we can invest in each other's lives in a way that is not self-centered, but gospel-shaped. Friends, honoring one another doesn't require the red carpet treatment every time. But it does require intentionality. It does require humility. Outdo one another in showing honor. Friend, when is the last time? When is the last time you 
sought to honor someone else intentionally with joy in your heart for the works of God's grace in their lives. There is one and only one to whom all honor is due, and that is Jesus. That is our Lord. But as we seek to honor Christ, let the fruit of our honoring him be found in how we seek to honor one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word as it as it examines our own soul and heart. Lord, sometimes it's painful and sometimes it's challenging and sometimes we even respond to your word in defensive way. Well, I'm not like that or that's not me or some other response. But Lord, the fact is that every single person in this room Every single person, male, female, man, woman, boy, girl, white, black, old, young. All of us are prone to honor ourselves more than we are others. And Father, I want to ask you to forgive me for seeking to honor my own self even before my family, seeking to honor myself before I honor others within this precious body of believers. God, would you forgive us for being selfish and prideful? Would you forgive us for preferring our own, or having our own preferences above the preferences of others? Father, I pray that we would be growing as a church known for how it prefers one another. Known as a people who invest in one another's lives in glorious way. Father, would you help us to that end? Would you help us to be a community of Christ-honoring people that leads us to be people who outdo one another in showing honor even to one another. Forgive us for when we failed to do that and help us to be more intentional in pursuing that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.